Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast, and I am really excited to talk to a new friend of mine. I've been getting to know him for the last couple months just here and there, and I'd been following him and his work online. I'm talking to pastor and Yukon River Knives employee slash side hustle. We'll talk all about that here in a minute. We're talking yeah. to Jeremy McMorris. How's it going, man? Good, man. Doing well, doing well. It's uh, It's been rainy the last few days here in the Texas Panhandle, so everybody is in a good mood. Yeah, okay, got gotcha. some rain out here, and yeah, yeah, things are good. <laughs> good deal. So you hail from yeah. the great nation of Texas. Well, that's where, that's where I've lived for the last eight years, and so I'll, I'll claim it now. It's definitely a good place to live. Yeah. Awesome. Well, before we get going, let's go ahead and pray, and we're going to get to know you a little bit and all the hats that you wear, but let's first go to the Lord in prayer. Yeah. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the, for the blood of Christ that unites us, and Lord, I, it's just an awesome thing to be able to talk to a brother and a friend about life, ministry, and all that you're doing through him beyond that. And Lord, I just pray for blessing up on this conversation. Lead it. Holy Spirit, point us to point us to Christ. I trust that you will. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, brother, why don't you go ahead and just bring us up to speed. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. And then what it is that you do on the ministry side of things. And really, yeah. as we talked about beforehand, we'll do a two-part conversation here. We'll talk life ministry and then we'll talk about Yukon River Knives. Uh, a little bit later. Yeah. So, so bring some yeah, speed. I'll try. Yeah, I'll try to give you a fast forward version. And then, uh, you know, at any point, push pause or or ask me to unpack something. I had the great privilege of being born into a Christian family. Uh, when I was young, my dad was a Christian school administrator. Um, and then as uh, we got older, um, and and my, my dad, uh, at one point, you know, really began to feel the uh, the impression of the Lord to preach, to, to serve as a pastor. And uh, so when I was 12, my dad uh, took uh, his first and only pastorate. So my dad has wow. pastored one church for 31 years. I was just Incredible. Uh, with him. Uh, he pastors in Michigan, Northern Michigan, beautiful, beautiful country. Uh, it's where I cut my teeth, bow hunting and, and uh, learn how to deer hunt up there. Um, and so, uh, like I said, great privilege to grow up in a, in a, in a pastor's home. And, you know, biblically, theologically, uh, God is the one who calls and prepares, equips a man for pastoral ministry. God used the pastoral ministry of my dad and growing up in his home as part of what God used to show me the value, the beauty, the good, I, I, you know, I wasn't one of those preachers, kids who grew up mad at my parents and, and bitter at the Lord and angsty about ministry. I, I loved my parents. My, my parents were as good or better at home and in private than they were in public. And, uh, they loved God and they loved others, you know? And, uh, and so I, I, you know, I, I, I see what the home that I grew up in is actually a big part of what God used even to, to point me and to call me into ministry. And so, uh, when I uh, graduated, I was uh, I was actually homeschooled the last four years. So I, I did private Christian school, and then the last four years of my it's kind of backwards from the way a lot of people end up doing it. But um, ninth through twelfth grade uh, was homeschooled, and again, man, it, it wasn't like this. I, at that time, I thought, oh man, I wish I could play some organized sports, that sort of thing. Um, I probably would have been an Olympic athlete if it hadn't been for that. But right, um, yeah, I got you. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, 
uh, as I was getting ready to leave uh, graduate high school and leave home, um, you know, really thought, man, I, I think maybe God has ministry in my future. And um, I uh, enrolled at Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina, did uh, four years of undergraduate work there, um, uh, worked at a Christian camp for many summers during my college and, and uh, uh, undergrad years, and even uh, for a few summers after my undergrad work. Uh, stayed on at Bob Jones, got a master's degree in counseling there, uh, met my wife, uh, actually uh, got to know her and we began dating at the summer camp that we worked at together. Um, and uh, and so we were married in 2002, uh, we just celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary um, Great. Uh, the last month. Yeah, yeah. Praise God. Um, and uh, and so from there uh, was a youth pastor in Greenville, South Carolina for five years then went out to California for a couple of years to help a friend of mine in a church plant out there. And, um, and then from there, uh, God brought us here to Dalhart, Texas, where I've been for the last uh, eight, almost nine years now um, here in Dalhart as the lead pastor at uh, Liberty Baptist church. And uh, just in December, this last December completed my doctor of educational ministry at Southern seminary in in Louisville, Kentucky. So that's a real fast forward yeah. version of uh, my my uh, my ministry and serve here now alongside. We've got two lay elders here at our church and um, small church, small town, town of about 9000 people, okay. a church of uh, a little over 100 people uh, here in uh, in Dalhart. Awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. Talk about a legacy of faith from your father. And it is so oh, true. Yeah. There's so many, yeah. so many guys grew up in homes where their where dad was in ministry and then they just vow from an early age. Not me, you know, that's right. not what I'm going to do. Yeah. And so what a great testimony, 31 years still pastoring and, and yeah. growing up in that yeah. environment. It's incredible. Yeah, it's awesome. A lot of cool things. So, so you had this uh, internal desire. Hey, I think this ministry thing might be for me. So was it pretty quickly that, that God brought some guys around you that were able to affirm that and, and say, yeah, Jeremy, we think you're, you're called to this as well. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate even the way you're asking that question. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I never had like this, um, like a sermon that I heard and I went forward and, you know, dedicated to, you know, I'm going to be a pastor. Um, I, uh, in fact, even as a, in my teen years, while I was still at home, any interest I expressed in maybe studying business or that sort of thing, my parents were really quick to encourage that, affirm that, you know, say, Hey, what, look into that. Why don't you find out some more about that? And, um, and yet, I mean, I just kind of kept coming back to uh, a love for Christ, a love for his church, a desire to uh, help other people grow spiritually. And so um, studied pastoral studies at, mm -hmm. at Bob Jones um, and was, would spend my summers working at the Wilds Christian Camp in Brevard, North Carolina, and loved taking the word of God and helping people grow. Right. I mean, I, you know, yeah. I look back now and I think, oh, man, I, I, <laughs> I'm not I'm not so sure that uh I always had just exactly the right answer, but I did try to have an open Bible in front of me and just constantly pointing people, you know, to the word of God. I served uh, at those camp, at camp during the summers. And then after I graduated with my master's degree, I actually stayed on at Bob Jones University for several years and worked in an administrative capacity there. Okay. And even there, and and, and while I was there, the, the leadership of the university uh, was communicating with me like, hey, we'd love for you to stay here long term. We want to invest in you. We're not sure what role we want to put you in, but we'd really love for you to be, um, you know, part of the next generation of leadership of the university, mm -hmm. which was encouraging. And, uh, you know, but I mean, I just I kept finding that during my 
during the morning, I'd be scheduling a discipleship meeting with a guy for coffee. And then, you know, at lunch, I was meeting with a small group of guys. And I was just, I was constantly doing more ministry oriented stuff, uh, though a lot of my work was administrative. And, and when I was considering what classes I wanted to take, I, I would have the leadership of the university kind of encouraging me toward communications classes or business classes. And I wanted to be in the seminary. I wanted mm-hmm. to be, you know, you know, taking, taking those classes. And, you know, at some point I just finally realized what God's do, you know, God's, God has me as a churchman. I, yeah, I really right. want the, the work that God has called me to. And I know there's a whole, there's a whole conversation around calling, but, um, the, the work that I knew God wanted me to do was in the local church. I just, yeah. I loved what the local church was used by God to do. And, uh, and so, uh, the pastor that I was under at the time, I, uh, there was a youth pastor, uh, job open and I put my name in there and I, uh, I was at a church with a, with a wonderful lead pastor and a group of really godly elders. And I went to him and I just said, Hey, I, I don't want to misstep here, but I, I really want to serve Christ and serve in the church. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that pastor just graciously, it was, it was, it was, it, it wasn't flattery, but it was really encouraging. He said, Jeremy, we see this in you. I see awesome. this in you. You should pursue, um, you know, ministry as, uh, as, as a youth pastor. And it, and it was a call to a different church. I mean, he was, mm-hmm. he was sending me out from that church, but with his, with his blessing. And so that meant a great deal to me. Of course, my dad was a pastor, his council and the council of many others, but even my local church pastor at that time was affirming that and really saying, go good, you know, go, go do that. And so, uh, so went from there, um, youth pastor for five years, I'll include one more story that was helpful. The two years that I spent in California were two really challenging years, um, and the Lord has brought forth beauty out of ashes of those two years. But during those, about halfway through those two years, we were walking through some really difficult circumstances in that local church. And, uh, and I remember coming to a point where I thought, man, I can get a job and, and make better money and mm. do something with my life. I'll just find a good, healthy church and do the discipleship stuff that I know uh, God, um, has equipped me and given me gifting to do. I'll, I'll, I'll do that kind of in my own way on my own terms in a good local healthy church, but I'm done with this messy church stuff. And look, man, I am not a, I am not a mystical. I'm not like I heard voices, that sort of thing, but there was such a strong impression from God by the Holy spirit in my life that said, no, Hmm. There, there is nothing else you can do. Not, not like I'm incapable of doing something else, but right. I, I just felt God throw guardrails uh, on my life where I knew, no, the church is where I'm, I'm going to be. Um, yeah. And however we want to term that calling or, or that directing. Um, and that really was a kind of never look back moment for me. Yeah. Like I knew I'm a, I'm, I'm in the church and yeah. it's going to be hard and it's going to be messy. Uh, church is like family, you know, your greatest joys come in that context and your deepest hurts can come yeah. in that context as well. So, and again, I'm thankful that at that time I was in a good, healthy church with good, healthy elders, even though we were walking through really dark waters together, I yeah. believe it was that healthy eldership 
that God used to bring me out on the other side where I still, I still love the church. Yeah. Um, Praise God, man. I love that. I think all of us have to experience in ministry, you know, you have those deep, deep joys and then the deep sorrows as well that come with life. And and that's true of any vocational calling that people walk in, but uh, particularly in ministry, there's a uniqueness of of highs and lows and difficult seasons. And I think we have to learn to repeat the things that have been good, which is your story is, man, we want to be men that are pastors as most of my audience is pastors that are raising their family and taking the household seriously, where we have a similar testimony. Our children have a similar testimony as you, where they're not angry with the church, bitter at their Mm -hmm. parents kind of thing. And also I've had experiences the opposite of yours, where I've had men come around and affirm God's call in my life, had good men that have come and affirmed God's call in my life. But then in other ministry contexts, I've had the stiff arm come my way, where it's been Hmm. having to learn positively from negative experiences, where you realize, you know, my wife and I had to draw a line in the sand and say, we're never going to do this to anybody, you know, with the Lord's help. We have to learn here from this negative experience and turn a positive, spin a positive on it. And so, man, uh, for for everybody listening in, we we want these experiences that Jeremy's had to have uh, you know effect in our life, where where we want to make sure that we don't become the um, you know the kind of pastors that instead of fanning the flame of ministry in the life of a person, we we want to be that instead of you know stifling and pushing away those that are being called into ministry. Certainly, we want to. Yeah. We yeah. want to uh, help help guys figure that out, but man, that's a, a powerful testimony yeah. hearing what God's done. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's sh- let's shift gears a little bit here. You yeah. mentioned cutting your teeth and bow hunting up up north in in Michigan. Uh, yeah. Before we get into Yukon River knives, which is a passion of yours, yeah. good good yeah. knives. We all have to have a good knife when we're field dressing uh, yeah. an animal or something yeah. like that, or have have good knives. Yeah. Plural. We all we, if you're if you're into knives, you're yeah. into knives. You love knives. Uh, but let's talk hunting for a little bit. I didn't start hunting until I was 35, and so I want to hear your story. How did you okay. get into hunting? Yeah. How how did that yeah. become a passion of yours? Oh yeah. Well, and you're right. It is a passion, man. If I, if I kind of swung my, the camera around in my office, you'd see some antlers and some deer and there's knives. And this is my church office and a little, you know, inside secret here into Texas. There, there are guns. There's a 50 cal in my, in my office (laughs) closet. It's a great church to be a part of. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't belong to me. I wish I owned it. Uh, We had a men's event recently and a guy in our church said, Hey, I've got a 50 cal you can take with us with, with you. So Um, Yeah, man. So uh, my dad actually is not a big hunter. Um, He would not identify as a hunter. You know, he wouldn't call himself a hunter. Um, But one of the things that my dad modeled for me well was, you know, when there was an interest in something, boy, he just would find somebody to connect me with. And my, uh, my grandfather hunted and my uncle hunted. And this, so I was, I was born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Okay. And, uh, and so my, I called him my pawpaw. My pawpaw hunted rabbits. Uh, my uncle hunted squirrels and rabbits. He hunted deer some as well. But I mean, when you're a four or five, uh, six year old kid, um, you know, uh, your, your, your papa, your uncle, like those are the coolest guys in the world. And so my uncle took me squirrel hunting. My papa took me rabbit hunting, uh, you know, once or twice. And so I just thought hunting was the coolest thing ever. And, uh, and that, that's what I was, I just thought I'm a hunter. Like, that's what we do. We're, we're hunters. I had probably gone, you know, once or twice. Um, and, uh, excuse me, my son just stepped in I'll yeah, that's right. you here in just a little bit. Okay. But all right. Thanks. I'm actually doing a live podcast right now. I see. <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, and then, so, I mean, I hunted two or three times t- till I was, uh, 12. And then when, when I was 12, our family moved to Northern Michigan, where I said, my, my dad has, has pastored since then. 
And there was a hunting culture in that church and in that community. And I had a number of men who were really gracious and kind to, uh, you know, let me hunt on their property and teach me a little bit about hunting. I had gotten a bow. This is an old, you know, this is a PSE, man, I, I can't even remember which model it was. This was before the, I mean, th there were just wheels on each yeah, end of right. the limbs, right? So there weren't, you know, uniquely shaped cams or anything like that. And, uh, and, and in Michigan, your uh and i think it's still this way archery season is all of october all of november all of december rifle mm -hmm. season is two weeks in november yeah it's same, same in of, illinois okay a lot of states are like that well and in where we lived in michigan the open weekend were just they, they were borderline unsafe to be in the woods we called it the invasion right. of the orange army you know mm -hmm. and so i loved being outside i loved the the weather of, of october mid late october early november um uh and so i i just started bow hunting and my first few years hunting i don't even recall that i rifle hunted at all I bow hunted the whole time. And then I would skip, skip out during rifle season uh -huh. and then, hunt, you know, jump back in and hunt. And this is, I mean, I'm 14, 15, 16 years old. When I was 14, I had several deer come in front of me um, with my bow. I shot, hit one, never recovered it, hit it kind of in front of the brisket area in that fatty area in front of uh -huh, the sternum. Right. I was thrilled. I thought I'd killed a deer and, and found I hadn't. Well, between the end of that season and the beginning of the deer season, when I was 15 years old, I shot my bow. I probably shot my bow every day, you okay. know, in those yeah. nine months. I mean, I just shot my bow, shot my bow, shot my bow. I had two uh, hay bales stacked in the backyard um, with a cardboard figure of a deer <laughs> in front of it. And I stood on the roof of my garage to uh -huh. replicate, you know, shooting from a tree stand. And just, I mean, I don't know how many thousands of times I shot. And I said, if a deer comes in front of me, I, I am going to kill it. Uh -huh. And that opening morning, uh, uh, several does walked in front of me and, and uh, you know, sure enough, I put a good shot on her and there she ran back toward the trail I'd come in on where we drove in on and died, you know, within 10 feet. We didn't have to hardly drag her at all. And so from there, I was 15 years old. Uh, from there, I, I mean, I was just absolutely hooked on hunting and, and really loved, and to this day, still really love bow hunting. Yeah. Um, I, I rifle hunt a lot as well, but so that was, that's when I was like, man, I, I love this. And, and so since then, there were two or three years in, in college where I didn't hunt at all. Mm -hmm. But apart from that, man, I, you know, hunting is, is, a, is a regular part of, of the, the routine. I've, I've been privileged to hunt in some really cool places. Um, I've, I've hunted, uh, I bear hunted in Alaska um, I, and was unsuccessful. Um, but that's, that's, uh, I'll still end up back Part of it. I've hunted in a number of different States and I've, I've been able to kill whitetail mule deer and California blacktail. I, I'd love to round that out with the coos deer of Arizona and yeah. a, a sit, Sitka blacktail in Alaska. So, um, so deer is my, that's what I love hunting more than anything else. Um, this last year, uh, actually he, he's a year old today. I got a, uh, a, a really high-end uh, bird hunting dog. Those who know the world of bird hunting and uh, versatile dogs, he's a poodle pointer. If you don't know what that means and you're thinking like labradoodle or cockerdoodle, that is not what he is. Okay. Um, so uh, uh, yeah, so I mean, yeah, I, if it's huntable, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm game, you yeah. know, so. Well, yeah. it's, it's interesting because, I, you know, hunting now for me has become something that is a passion. I'm teaching my children. 
Uh, my boys have begun to love it. My my oldest son awesome. is going to be sitting in a stand with me this year. We have Good. shotgun season. We can't shot. We can't hunt with a rifle in Illinois. So we have these caliber bar- barrels that have it's a, a deer barrel, and we just we shoot yeah. big slugs and sabots yeah. out of yeah. it. And a lot of sure. guys will take that to shoot bear as well or something like that. Yeah. But we, we've got about a hundred yard range on these things that are, uh, yeah, you know, it'll take down a deer really easy. But we. Uh, I, about two years or uh, let's see, I guess it's been three or four years ago. Now we had a guy in our church that came up and said, Hey, Jared, I want you to come out and, and hunt on my property. I said, well, all right, I guess I got to do a hunter safety course. And I just really was, was doing it because the guy, you know, really was a, a guy that I respected and, and really started to, to really just appreciate. And he said, well, why don't you come on out? He's in his sixties. And I did the hunter safety course. I went out he said, you can use my gun. Don't buy a gun yet. Just use my gun and we'll sit you in a stand. And yeah. Within 45 minutes of sitting in that stand, the sun came up and that deer, I had a little, actually this deer right here came walking out of the woods and just a little seven pointer. But oh, that's great, man. He walked out and about 70 yards away and I got him. And from that point forward, just hooked. And so I think yeah. the, the first four times in a stand, I killed three deer. And uh, it was just uh, I mean, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. And I yeah, kept... that's that's not cool, man. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know my buddies were all like, "Hey, man, this is not this isn't normal." Because I got a bunch of friends that right. hunt, and they says, "Don't get used to this. This isn't normal." And then last year, I sat in the stand. I mean, so many times, so many yeah. hours, and I didn't get one even uh, during shotgun season. Didn't get one. It's just uh, yeah. you know uh, realized that's a part of it. But absolutely loved hunting. And uh, I'm trying to encourage guys to get into hunting. So I, here's the, the thing about uh, barrier of entry. People talk about this all yeah. the time. Uh, Jeremy, I'd like to hunt, but man, it's just so expensive to get in and uh, get into hunting. And my counsel back has been, well, it, it can be expensive if you want it to be. But if you just get some basic gear, if you get yeah. your gun, if you get your bow, and I got a bow first or second time, it was, a uh, uh, let's see, second time sitting in, in a stand during bow season, I got a bow. I got a, I got a deer. That's awesome. And yeah. I'd only shot my bow probably 50 times at that point. And it was a 10 yard shot. Got him, actually got him in the spine and, and had to go down and give him kill shot. But uh, what, what's your counsel when, when you're talking to guys, here's how you get into, into hunting. It doesn't have to yeah. be a million dollars. If you don't want it to be, you can start small. How, how's a yeah. guy going to get into hunting if they want to? Right. Yeah. That's man. That's such a great question. I, you know, if, if someone were to come and see, my closet full of camo and you know my gun collection which is not extensive but uh gun collection and knives and and that sort of thing and they would think oh man you know i don't have i don't have the money to well i've been i've been doing this for you know 30 years and uh, 30 plus years and have accumulated and accumulate you know so so uh the advice that i would give a guy is find someone who hunts Mm -hmm. Take your hunter safety course, get your, you know, get your hunter safety course, get your hunting license. And I would not encourage someone to buy a gun. I wouldn't encourage them to buy camo. I would say, st- let, th- let someone who does it l- borrow their gun, borrow a camo coat and, you know, you put on some, you know, tan Carhartt pants or whatever, you know, kind of depends on where you're hunting, what kind of hunting you're doing. If you're hunting in a tree stand there, or, you know, we're hunting, uh, pretty wide open prairies and, and canyons here where I live in, in Texas. Um, and, uh, and just spend the, you know, the $50 for your state's in-state hunting license 
Mm-hmm. And and start by kind of figuring out whether or not you really enjoy, you know, don't don't go buy a thousand dollar gun and a thousand dollar scope and a thousand dollars worth of camo and and spend all the time to get your hunter safety and your hunting license only to find out you don't really like getting up yeah. early and being cold outside. Right. Um, and and uh, so start with someone who knows what they're doing, who can literally let you borrow everything you need. And then a word to the guys who are helping people, uh, if you're the guy that the newbie has come to and said, hey, teach me how, man, again, make that barrier of entry as low as possible and the percentage and odds for success as high as possible. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I wish I had learned this earlier with my, with my children. I, um, I, yeah, I've got four kids, um, and uh, early on, I would take my, my oldest son, Jay, who's 17 now, um, and I would take him and we'd sit for hours in the cold, which I enjoyed doing, Yeah, right. but he didn't. Mm-hmm. This last year, um, I took my, uh, one of my daughters, my younger of my two daughters, and we got in a pickup truck. We went to a place where we had a mule deer doe tag, which is mm-hmm. only landowners can, can get those, uh, but a friend of mine had one. We, we drove, we went to a place where we knew 100% certainty we would see deer. Okay. We drove the property. We saw the deer. It was a gun that was fit for youth. You know, it was a great, it was 243, easy caliber for her to shoot. Um, it's perfectly and totally legal for us to shoot from the truck. We shot from the truck. She harvested her first deer, a doe, nice. um, you know, and so, and now she, she loves it. Yeah, She's like, awesome. Dad, are we going to go, we're going to deer hunt again this year. And, and so, and we, you know, when we eat venison, you know, that's a deer that she has killed. I mean, like she's, she's part of this thing now. And so sometimes I feel like uh, the, the advice needs to be given more to the guy who's helping someone yeah, come in. Like if a guy comes to me and says he wants to learn how to hunt and he wants to go out and shoot a 150 plus inch deer, look at man, a lot of guys hunt 10, 15 years and that, and never, some guys hunt a lifetime and never yeah. shoot a deer like that. Yeah, exactly. If you want to come and have a great time and shoot a doe, um, uh, and put some meat on the table. And I mean, I, I, here in the last few years, you know, um, I've, I've been privileged to, you know, I, I from literally from field to table, I don't, I don't use a processor. I don't use mm-hmm. a, you know, I, I, I'm able to do all that on my own. I've got a meat processor and, um, and I enjoy every step of that, but I, I would tell a guy who's helping someone get into it, man, make, make the odds for success as high as possible yeah. so that that person has a good first experience. Cause if they go out and sit in the dark for three hours and it's 20 degrees and they don't see anything and they do that two or three days, I, you know, you, you aren't showing them actually the joys of hunting. You're, you're starting with the, the pain and the boredom. And, um, yeah. So anyway, th- yeah, that's good counsel. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, along the way you start to get a feel for what kind of gear you like and the, yeah. you know, a, part, a fun part of any, anything that guys do is, you know, having to, uh, really have the self-discipline of not diving full into yeah. getting all the gear as fast as possible and showing some wisdom and prudence in that. And I think that's good counsel as well. Of just yeah. saying, Hey, wait, hold off on getting everything before you, you know, you know that you're going to actually use it and you're going to actually enjoy it. Uh, once yeah. you do get yeah. into it and realize I do enjoy this, you start thinking about, okay, I want some quality gear. I want some gear that's going to last. 
And then the older you get, yeah. one of the things that I've appreciated is heirloom items, things that I'm going to be able to keep yeah. for a lifetime and then hand down to my children and my grandchildren. And you get into this Yukon River Knives. You somehow get connected to Ron, the, the founder. And I just want yeah. to hear the story about that. And then uh, just give the pitch yeah. of, of why guys should go check out the website and start buying some gear yeah. and looking for some things sure. that are going to last them a lifetime. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we, could, we could spend hours talking about gear. Right. I mean, from, you know, optics uh, and rifles and binos and, you know, field gear, camo, that sort of thing. Um, I will kind of stick to knives. Um, so uh, when I was a youth pastor at, uh, at the church I was at in Greenville, South Carolina, one of the first weeks I was there, a gentleman came to me and he said, hey, um, I'm happy to help with any youth ministry stuff uh, that you would like for me to help with. I want you to know I have, I think at the time he had maybe 10 or 12 canoes that he had bought and collected through the years and had canoe trailers. And he loved to take groups on, on uh, camping trips, canoe trips, that sort of thing. Um, and so that's how I met Ron Step. Ron has become like family. And I mean that very literally. He has become like family to me and to my family. Uh, God gave Ron two daughters, never gave Ron any son. And Ron has kind of, in his own words, uh, he's been able to adopt a few uh, young men through the years. I'm not that young anymore, but at the time, I was, you know, one of the young men that uh, Ron kind of adopted into his his life. And um, Ron worked for the power company there in South Carolina for his whole career, but he had a side hustle where he would buy and sell um, primarily um, high-end knives, right? So on his table, you weren't going to find the uh, flea market $5 knives. He was buying from custom knife makers and selling um, Heron knives. Um, uh, man, now I'm not going to be able to think of, of, um, of any of the Owen Baker, um, some, other, some other names that I, I'm just drawing a blank on right here at the moment. But he was primarily dealing with high-end collectible uh usable, right? You could use them in the field, but mm -hmm. uh, his knives probably started around the $300 mark and kind of went, went up from there. And, and if, if you're like I was when I first met Ron, the idea of paying $250, $300 for a knife was like unbelievable. Like who right. on earth would ever spend that much money on a knife? Um, and so uh, Ron was buying and selling these knives. And then about 15 years ago, uh, as Ron had got connected with different knife makers and, uh, and other men in the ministry, Ron's a wonderful Christian man. Um, he, uh, he got the idea that he wanted to start a line of knives uh, that he could sell where a significant percentage of the proceeds would go to help support a missionary friend of his at the time there in Alaska, Josh Roach, who is a, uh, he was born in Alaska. His parents were from Alaska, but he, his dad's a pastor in Alaska. He is now a pastor in Alaska. And Josh takes uh, a boat up the Yukon River during the summer and snow machines up the frozen Yukon River during the winter to reach into many of these villages way back where, I mean, very few ever go uh, mm -hmm. with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so uh, Ron began this Yukon River Knives uh, as kind of the real ministry arm of what he was already doing. Yeah. Um, and, and Yukon River Knives was born about 15 years ago. Well, Ron and I had been friends through the years and a couple, maybe three years ago, Ron said, you know, Ron is, I think, 73 now, 73, somewhere in 75, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and he said, you know, Jeremy, uh, this, uh, 
this is something that I've been doing and uh, I don't have plans for it beyond really my lifetime. Ron is in wonderful health. It wouldn't surprise me if he lives to be 110. Um, but, you know, he said, uh, I want you to pray about um, you taking Yukon River Knives. And uh, we'll be partners in it until I can't partner with you anymore. And then it's, you know, it's, it's yours for the, the having. And I prayed about it and thought about it. And honestly, Jared, at first I was, I wasn't sure that I would, it wasn't an immediate and obvious yes for me. And here's okay. why. Um, I, I didn't want to be that pastor who was always trying to sell something to mm -hmm. someone. Right. Pyramid marketing stuff. Hey, you know, uh, you know, what, whatever the product might be. I didn't want to be the, a pastor who was always looking at someone as a potential sales, mm -hmm. a, a potential sale. And um, I really had to wrestle through that, got some counsel from some other pastors and friends of mine. Um, and uh, through their, uh, their counsel uh, was actually encouraged to, you know, why don't, why don't you take it, take it for a year or two and just, you know, take it and see, how it works and whether mm -hmm. you really enjoy doing it. And so there was obviously love for Christ, love for ministry and missions. I've had the privilege to go up and meet Josh uh, up there oh, in Alaska, cool. hunted with him. He, this is the guy, look, if you were, if you were parachuted into the Alaskan wilderness, this is the guy you want with you, right? Gotcha. Like, I mean, yeah. Josh, you know, Josh is a uh, bear grills, you know, um, uh, and, uh, Apostle Paul combo kind of, <laughs> kind of guy. Uh, yeah. He's a great, just a wonderful, wonderful Christian dude. But I mean, he really is like a survivor. I mean, he, this guy knows how to navigate the Alaskan wilderness. Um, and then a growing, I, I really, when Ron asked me this, I didn't know a lot about knives. Uh, and so it's really been the last couple of years that I have just kind of done a deep dive and, you know, got books and subscribed to blade magazine and gone to knife shows and, I still am way low on the um, the spectrum on really knowing knives, knowing the different steels they're made from, knowing the different manufacturers and the. But uh, I'm trying to catch up fast. Ron will has forgotten more than I'll ever know uh, mm -hmm. about knives, and I'm not just saying this because he's my friend. Those who are in the knife industry actually do know the name Ron Step, uh, and he is he he's. He would be one of the most knowledgeable men, especially referring to uh, when it comes to knowing high-end knife makers, custom knives, yeah. uh, and in particular in the world of hunting, fishing, outdoor use. Uh, he just, people call him uh, for advice and counsel and, hey, I've got this knife, what's it worth? Ron is, a, is an incredible treasure and resource. So long story i'm making probably longer than it needs no, to. that's good. how that's i good. became the part a partner with him on yukon river knives and so uh we have what we call our alaska series which were this this story can get really complicated really fast joshua roach who is the missionary that we support in alaska his father-in-law is a custom knife maker okay owen baker Owen designed several knives that we have had mass produced by white river knives out of michigan american made absolutely top shelf knives awesome. you're not gonna find you i can say this with confidence because i've handled a lot of knives now you're not gonna find a better knife you can find a more expensive knife but for but for the 150 to 200 price point that our knives are at that uh the 
the uh, the hunter, the small game, and the ATK. That's priced. Those are priced at 100, 150, and 180. Uh, you're you're not going to find a better knife. Benchmade doesn't make a better knife. They, they make one that's comparable, but they don't make a better knife than the ones that we're making. And you can even buy many of the knives that we sell. You can buy through White River, but but you don't. But not if you buy them through White River, who we love and love to work alongside. We're so thankful that they're making our knives for us. Um, uh, when you buy them through Yukon River Knives, a percentage goes to uh, yeah. supporting the missions work there in Alaska. And so that's, that's why I would encourage guys, Hey, all things being equal. If you like what you're seeing, you like the knives buy, please buy them from Yukon river knives uh, right. because there's gospel work that's being advanced through yeah. the purchase of a knife. That's cool. We haven't talked, we haven't had the conversation about why, why to buy a knife or what kind of knives to buy. You know, we could spend a lot of time on that too, but that's who Yukon river knives is. Um, and our, our vision and goal and, and look, uh, you know, we're just getting started. Yeah. My, my hope actually is that, uh, in the, in the next few years, we will have some knives that are exclusively through us, um, Yukon okay. river knives branded, uh, an exclusive, you know, our own line of knives. So what we're doing now is we're selling knives that are not made by us, but are made for us. And then, you know, custom knives, we have a $300, uh, give or take range, um, uh, as well. Uh, and then sometimes we'll just sell, we'll, we'll get some ZT knives. Maybe we'll put our logo on them or we'll get some Kershaw knives or, um, uh, you know, some, some other, uh, some other knives that we'll sell. And again, anything that's sold through our store is a percentage is going to support the missions work up there in Alaska. So we've got axes, we've got some really cool gunslings that have a, a knife that a small knife that fits into the gunsling on my primary hunting rifle. That's, that's what I've got. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. It's a leather, a beautiful leather sling with a small knife that fits in it. Um, we've got some really cool products. So if you go to the website, um, you know, you're going to see uh, some really wonderful things. That's good. Well, I love what you guys are yeah. doing and I love that you've turned something that you're passionate about into a, a stream of revenue for you and in the future. Yeah. And, you know, I talk to guys all the time in ministry that are thinking through, you know, long-term, you know, you got your retirement, you got your savings and all that kind of thing, but we're really what people need is that, that multiple streams of revenue and to be able sure. to turn a passion, yeah. passion into uh, something that's profitable yeah. and something that's enjoyable. Right. I mean, how, how many pastors that, you know, are bored and tired and exhausted. It, I mean, that's all that we hear when we go to a yeah. pastor's conference about yeah. how exhausted pastors are. Right. And yeah. it doesn't have to be that way. Guys can that's really right. pursue life in yeah. this world and they don't yeah. have to model for their con congregation. Hey, here's what a, a bored Christian man's life looks like. Uh, I just yeah. do work and, and then I do nothing else. I don't have anything going on with my household. We don't have a shared vision with the household. We don't have anything for our kids. I'm just a bored man. And I love what yeah. you're doing is turning that into a revenue stream. And I think, you know, for guys, yeah. if they're looking to do something like that, hey, what is it that God has gifted you with that you really enjoy to do? Well, maybe there's a way that you can actually help other people with it and enjoy yeah, it and make right. a little bit of money. Yeah. It may, may not turn it into, yeah. a, you know, a multi-million dollar business or anything, but it can be fun on the side. And yeah. and then you can do something that's, that's uh, you know, that matters and that's going to be helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I love what you're doing, man. I think it's really cool. I, I really yeah. want people to go uh, and for the check. Encouragement. Absolutely. And I yeah. want these guys to go and check out Yukon River Knives and buy knives. Uh, yeah. Big, big surprise here is we're going to be working with you guys at some point here in the future. We've got to nail down the exact month, but yeah. for my listeners, 
I want you to be thinking about the possibility of coming up in the fall. I mean, September rolls around. I know elk yeah. season is in September for a lot of states. And then as you get into yeah. October, November, October is when deer season starts here in Illinois uh, for, for bow season. And so be thinking about, you know, if you're wanting something to, you know, even thinking about Christmas time, if you're wanting something that's going to last, you know, put that request yeah. into your wife and say, hey, here, honey, this is something that I would like. Yeah. It's going to, you know, for the next 30 years, be my go-to knife. Uh, for small yeah. game or big game yep. hunting. And so yep. be thinking about that and just yep. check them out. Hey, listen, uh, I try to do this every time. I really want, it's been a lot of fun. You're right. We could have been talking for, for hours on end and it's just been fun yeah. talking about this stuff and, and kicking some things around here. But I really want to set you up to praise God for his grace. And I do this with everybody I interview. I want to end with really just putting it on the tee and just giving you a bat and saying here, praise God for his grace. And so here's the question, Jeremy. I want, I want to know, why is it that you love Jesus so much oh man yeah um i i grew up in a wonderful christian home i um i was around i heard the gospel nine months before i was born um you know i uh and it wasn't until oh i don't know 10 or 15 years ago when i understood um, not only that Christ had died for my sins, but that Christ had lived for my life, that the, uh, the imputed righteousness of Christ and the significance of that for me on a daily basis, that when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, um, and the securing uh, of my soul that that had the, the, the securing nature uh, of, on my soul that that had for me the the encouragement that that was for me um, so I, I praise God not only for, for his uh, taking my sins away but for giving me his righteousness now belongs to me. Um, of course, I still sin. Of course, I still ask for forgiveness of sin. But there is an absolute certainty and a security that um, that is mine and, and that is my identity that stabilizes and secures me. Um, and I, I, I mean, I am, uh, I wish I had known this for the last 44 years of my life. It's been the last 15 or so years that that has really come alive to me. So that... Um, that and them uh, better here in the last 10 or 15 years. I'm, I'm, as you asked that question, that's the first thing that came mm -hmm. to my mind was I, I'm thankful for uh, the imputed righteousness of Christ that yeah. secures me now and for eternity uh, before the father. Yeah. Amen. Yes. And amen. I tell you what, yeah. imputed righteousness. Yeah, yeah. I'm here. Can amen. you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Imputation is the gateway drug to, yeah, to the yeah. grace of yeah, God. I mean, it, it's can, okay. Good. Yeah. That's, that's what got me summer of 2003 yeah. Yeah. going through the book of Galatians. And I remember the line that stuck with me, mm. my buddy, my buddy, oh, yeah. my buddy, Michael Kelly was teaching through uh, the book of Galatians. And he said, you know, the grace of God, not only saves us or it also keeps us and it keeps us yes. by way of yeah by way yeah. of imputation and that oh man that got a hold yeah. of me as well well this has been a lot of fun yeah. tell us again where we can find more information about what's yeah. going on uh tell us about the instagram and the the website and, yeah. and all that yeah yeah yukonriverknives.com uh is the website uh yukon river knives on instagram i think there might even be like a yukon underscore river underscore knives uh we're on facebook as well i post everything to instagram and then uh, it goes to, to facebook as well but those you know instagram and 
um, the website are where you're going to kind of find the, the most information. That kind of, that's where you're going to find the most information um, uh, about our products and, and that sort of thing. Click on the, when you go to the website, click on the, if you just click the shop tab, uh, it will bring up everything. And there's some really great axes on there. Some, like I said, some rifle slings um, and then just a, you know, a bunch of different uh, really cool knives. We're struggling to get some things in stock right now. Uh, we're going to get it up, you know, get everything, all our full inventory back online just as fast as we possibly can. But there's a, there's a lot of really great uh, stuff on there uh, for guys to, to take a look at. Okay, good deal. Well, everybody, thanks for tuning in today. We've been talking to my new buddy, Jeremy McMorris. Jeremy, thanks so much for coming on the show, brother. Man, it, thank you so much. This has really been a lot of fun. Good deal. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. For more information, go to the shepherdscrook.co.